Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. Liz Truss resigns as British Prime Minister after just 45 days in office. I cannot deliver the mandate on which I was elected by the Conservative Party. I have therefore spoken to His Majesty the King to notify him that I am resigning as leader of the Conservative Party. The Taoiseach calls for urgency in resolving Northern Ireland protocol issues in the wake of the Trust resignation. Stability is very important and uh, we would like to see uh, the, the UK system within its capacity to uh, be in a position to uh, have a successor um, uh, selected as quickly as possible. Well, the Trust departure kickstarts a contest to find the next Tory leader and Prime Minister, which should produce a result by next Friday. Rishi Sunak and Penny Mordaunt are seen as contenders, but could Boris Johnson be about to make a spectacular political comeback? We'll be live in London for the very latest on this fast-moving story tonight. And later, we'll also hear about the devastating impact that human trafficking in Ireland has on people's lives who dream of a better life. You can join the conversation online with your comments and your questions on the hashtag TonightVMTV. After a dramatic and turbulent six weeks marked by political chaos and financial turmoil, British Prime Minister Liz Truss has resigned after just 45 days in office. Ms Truss made her announcement in a statement at lunchtime following a meeting with the chair of the 1922 Committee of Backbench Conservatives, Graeme Brady. While speaking outside the door of her number 10 Downing Street office, Ms Truss accepted that she could not deliver the promises she made when she was running for Conservative leader, having lost the faith of her party. I cannot deliver the mandate on which I was elected by the Conservative Party. I have therefore spoken to His Majesty the King to notify him that I am resigning as leader of the Conservative Party. Well, the Taoiseach had this reaction to the dramatic political developments in London. On a personal level, uh, I, I sympathise with her. I think it's been a very difficult time f for the British Prime Minister, given all that has happened um, and so on. Uh, and then, therefore, I think what's important as Britain's nearest neighbour, we uh, have significant economic and relationship and many other relationships with the United Kingdom. I think stability is very important and uh, we would like to see uh, the, the UK system within its capacity to uh, be in a position to uh, have a successor um, uh, selected as quickly as possible. Well, I'm joined now by our correspondent, Ollie Barrett, who is in London for us tonight. And Ollie, uh, a long day, a lot happening since that lunchtime resignation and a very short 
45 days in office for Liz Truss. Uh, really 90 seconds and it was all over. Uh, tell us about that statement and what led up to that uh, announcement at Downing Street today. Yeah, it was a very short statement indeed. Liz Truss really accepting that she'd lost the confidence completely of her party, but also referencing that idea of not being able to deliver on her mandate, which is partly to do with financial markets just not having the plan that she had outlined with her former Chancellor Kwasi Kwarteng. Uh, the pressure had been building on her for some days, of course, but I think events here in Westminster at the House of Commons last night particularly focused the minds of many Conservative MPs who just felt there was a complete breakdown in party discipline, in party management around a vote about fracking, which actually the government ended up winning, but in chaotic scenes, really acrimonious scenes here in the House of Commons at times. And so when Graham Brady went to see Liz Truss at Liz Truss's request in Downing Street earlier today, the conversation was clearly to gauge the mood of the party. And it was pretty obvious, I think, to everyone in the room that the mood of the party was that Liz Truss had to go and that she either had to resign or indeed things were going to get very, very messy indeed as Conservative MPs tried to force her out. OK, so now the bid for a new prime minister which will be the third Prime Minister Britain will have in the space of a year. Uh, and Boris's name back in the mix. Uh, tell, us, tell us about that. We've got Rishi Sunak, Penny Mordaunt, and now we're hearing um, about Boris Johnson potentially back in the frame as leader. Potentially back in the frame as leader, that is certainly true. We're yet to hear from Boris Johnson himself as to whether he's actually putting his hat in the ring. But there is already a concerted campaign from some Conservative MPs to get him onto that ballot to make sure that he gets into the contest next week. It's not an easy task for him because under the rules that have been set out, you have to have 100 nominations from MPs to even qualify to be in the contest. It's not clear that Boris Johnson can get to that number. But if he does, you have to take his candidacy very seriously because we know he's popular among party members who will likely play a role in this, in this contest. Penny Mordaunt, you mentioned, who did well in the previous leadership campaign, absolutely is a contender. Rishi Sunak, popular with around half the party, really quite unpopular with much of the party as well. Defence Secretary ben, ben Wallace mentioned as a candidate that could unite the party, but not clear at all if he wants to go for it. That threshold of 100 MPs needing to nominate you to even qualify to start the race does mean that we're probably only going to have two or three candidates next week and we will definitely know who's won the race by Friday of next week and that person of course becomes the next Prime Minister we could well know before that and that person inheriting a mess well the opposition of course Labour will say that that uh, mess has been in place for some time but really coming really to, to mop up after the disastrous mini budget and all the fallout from that and they've a big job at hand and also the stability of the country at stake here Absolutely, a huge task at hand and some really difficult decisions to make really very quickly. Of course, we will know the new leader by Friday of next week. And then just days later, that leader's chancellor will have to deliver that fiscal statement and set out the spending priorities for the country in the coming months and years. And presumably, we think, make some pretty hefty spending cuts. So it's going to be not just a difficult task, but a task which could make that person who becomes leader of the party and prime minister really quite unpopular 
quite quickly. And also, not just the stability of the country, the stability of the Conservative Party too, which has looked completely unmanageable at times in recent days, but also weeks and months going back to the times when Boris Johnson was at the head of the party. So a really mammoth task ahead. And that, by the way, is one of the reasons that some people are speculating that people like Boris Johnson may decide they don't want it this time around. OK, Ollie Barrett, thank you uh, for joining us from London tonight with the very latest there. Well, the short-lived premiership of Liz Truss saw a dramatic and turbulent period in politics. Six weeks, which saw two monarchs, two chancellors, a financial crisis and high political drama. I have just accepted Her Majesty the Queen's kind invitation to form a new government. Is the Prime Minister next, Mr Quartine? Now, I recognise we have made mistakes. I'm sorry uh, for those mistakes, but I fixed the mistakes. I've appointed a new Chancellor. Hiding away, dodging questions, scared of her own shadow. The lady's not for turning up. I am a fighter and not a quitter. I think the lettuce was actually crowned. Um, but for more on this story, I'm joined by journalists Stephen O'Brien, Sinn Fein TD, Louise O'Reilly, uh, Fine Gael Senator Barry Ward, and News Talk broadcaster Henry McKean. You're all very welcome along to the programme tonight. Like looking at it, it looks like panto season over there, doesn't it, Stephen? I mean, it's really hard to believe. Well, not really when we've seen what's happened in recent in recent days, but we've had 45 days of Liz Truss as Prime Minister and now over and out with that very brief statement outside uh, Downing Street today. But no real surprise it had to come about, didn't it? Yeah, if you'd, if you'd asked me a week ago, I would, have, I would have forecast that Liz Truss would grimly hang on because the, the structures there were, were in her favour. The rules of the 1922 club that you couldn't move on a leader and the, the letters that Graham Brady builds up wouldn't have any impact in the first year. The threat of a general election if she, if she fought in a particular way but, you know, events just completely overtook that and the, the, the chaos. We saw, I just wouldn't normally be a, a, a Channel 4 news viewer, but I, I was... After the... Um, the uh, the, the um, Suella Braverman walked off the set yesterday, I said, I said, we better dig in and listen to some British news, tuned into Channel 4 and then watched it unfold, popcorn with the Tories. It looked like the chief, the chief whip was gone. It looked like the deputy chief whip was gone. Uh, there was accusations of bullying in the lobbies. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, 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 was, it, it was just jaw-dropping stuff and, and she couldn't survive that. Yeah, uh, incredible, really, because, Henry, in many ways mm. we thought we couldn't get more jaw-dropping to what we saw during Boris Johnson's time. No, absolutely. I mean, and then this. I mean, I was over in London uh, just last week. Uh, I've been over there actually three times in the last month for the Queen dying and also for for other uh, reports. And just watching it and speaking to the British public, the people on the streets in London, some of them are hungry. We've got problems here. They've got problems there. I think uh, a quarter of Londoners uh, go without meals uh, some nights. Yeah, because we tend to to, Um, get wrapped up in the politics of all of this. And, like, again, we were calling it, you know, like panto season and we're talking about two chances 
chancellors and two British prime ministers. And, but, and it is, but, it's, but and it's, they really have when become. When it comes down to it, I mean, the people, the people in Britain are, are, are suffering, that are and, and not everyone over there is wealthy. I mean, 70 billion, you know, wiped uh, because of their mini budget, and just the irresponsibility. But the relief this evening that Liz Truss has gone. I mean, uh, speaking to friends over there and speaking to people in the last few days when I was there in London, huge relief and a sigh of relief. She's gone, and I know she was the third ever female prime minister, and I don't want to be mean towards her, but she was awful, and she was a terrible choice, mm. uh, and the actual Conservative <laughs> Party members put her there. They are to blame, uh, and they really should be scratching their heads now. You know, who's going to come back? Boris is actually on his way back as we speak. Boris is on a plane from the Caribbean from his holiday uh, to, you know, and will he come back? Will he get those 100 MPs? I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, you'd wonder, though, as Ollie was mentioning there, does he actually, does he want, does he want the gig, Louise? But, um, you know, Mary Lou Macdonald, your own leader, gave her reaction saying Liz Truss's legacy will be soaring mortgage payments, wrecking the economy, lifting the cap on bankers' bonuses and working in the interests of the super rich. Um, no holding back there. I think the Thornish has said, you know, she left with, with some dignity. You don't believe so? She left chaos in her wake. And when you talk about Boris Johnson uh, and whether or not that man might uh, try to reverse engineer some kind of a comeback, let's not lose sight of the fact that he didn't go because he had a small policy disagreement. He went because his front bench started, his cabinet started to resign because they said he was unfit for office. Mm -hmm. So I don't know how that man can come back because it's not simply that he could he could take to the stage and say, well, we had a small policy difference, but we've resolved it now. They said he wasn't fit to hold office and now he appears to be contemplating a, a comeback. And I actually think, uh, to be fair, I think Mary Lou hit the nail on the head. Economic chaos, soaring mortgage rates. I mean, and the, the one thing that she managed to achieve was lifting the cap uh, on bonuses for bankers. So she worked in the interest of the super rich mm. at a time of economic crisis and hardship for an awful lot of ordinary yeah. people. And I think we're seeing the outworkings of that now. Yeah, um, Barry Ward, uh, I know around the time when they were selecting a new prime minister and the word on the beat was, the government here wants anyone but Liz Truss. Mm. In that way, has it played out as, as the government may have anticipated? Well, yeah, I saw Jedward texting earlier or tweeting earlier that they had lasted longer on X Factor on the X Factor than she had in Downing Street. But, um, like, on a personal level, you could feel sorry for her, but I think Henry's right. She was a terrible Prime Minister. And I think there's a salutary lesson for all politicians there that the irresponsibility of the way she approached her office was to just railroad things through. And Louise mentioned some of them, but, like, she also implemented a policy that Sinn Féin has been asking the government here to implement, which is to cap energy prices. And that was a disastrous policy. It was part of policy. It was part of the reasons why the, the economic the economy in the UK took such a dramatic dive. But when politicians are only willing to give people what they what they think they want to hear, there's an irresponsibility in that. And it's important we heard to do that the right from, thing. We heard that from Heather Humphreys earlier today um, when she was speaking about that, like this idea that this is what happens when populism comes to the fore. Is that what you believe yeah, that, and that, I, that, that, I, that, I that think, was? I think that's one of the big problems the Conservative Party faces is that they have been all about populism, particularly under bars. Do you know what? Arguably, like, that's not popular. It's not popular to take away the highest tax rate. 
No, no, from but it's, po it's popular with certain people. Yeah, it's popular with, with people with the that she's listening to. The point, the point that I'm making, though, until now. Yeah, and the, yeah. Point that, the point that I'm making is the particularly populist policy that she implemented was capping uh, energy prices. And that's, that's fine. Okay. It's popular. But how are you going to pay for it when the energy prices go up? The government ends up carrying the can for the difference. Louise, was, do you want to come was, in on that? Yeah, it was, it was Liz, Liz Truss's own, own policy yeah, there. Yeah, it was Liz Truss's mini-budget, actually, which happened a number of weeks after the, the, the measure that Barry's referring to that actually caused the economic instability, caused the chaos and ultimately brought her down. But I think the, the lesson in this, and, and there's a lot in what's happening in Westminster and Downing Street at the moment, that brings me right back to the, uh, the last time Fianna Fáil uh, were in government with the Green Party. And when that government fell, I was a member of the Public Services Committee, the ICTU at the time, and we would have been in and around government buildings for the months running up mm. to that, trying to negotiate some class of a pay deal. And what happened to those, uh, those politicians at that time, and they paid the price for it at the ballot box subsequently, what happened to them was they turned in on themselves and they started to focus only... Uh, as, as uh, only Fianna Fáil, the, the Greens and others can do. They focused only on their internal workings and, and they focused only on their own party. And they didn't look outside and see the suffering that their policies were causing. Was, was and that's what's happening, uh, that's what's happening here. The frustrating, one of the, one of the very frustrating parts from an Irish point of view of all of this is that it injects a new level of uncertainty into what's going to happen in Northern Ireland mm. in the coming weeks. It did seem under, under uh, Liz Truss's premiership that there was a softening of the position on the protocol. Uh, she sent out, clearly sent out Steve Baker, a junior minister in the Northern Ireland office, and an ardent Brexiteer to apologise for his uh, harsh commentary on the Irish government's position. So it appeared there was some sort of a deal in prospect there. Talks have been going constructively between the European Union and British officials, but that now all stalls. Uh, the prospect of avoiding an election, uh, an assembly election in the north over the coming week, with that clock ticking to tomorrow week. The, the Chris Heaton Harris, the Northern mm. Ireland Secretary, uh, Secretary of State, has said he's going to move uh, the writ for uh, an election in the yeah. north next Friday, um, with an interim government or, or a care, effectively a caretaker government in the, inter, in the intervening week. There's little chance of avoiding that now. Yeah. So this deadline now of October 28th to restore power sharing. How is that? that, that that's, not, that's simply not possible, right, well, Louise? See, we've said the same thing consistently all along. Michelle O'Neill, as First Minister-designate, stands ready to form an executive. What she doesn't have is a partnership with the DUP. So the DUP are uh, holding the people in the North to ransom. Uh, they, shouldn't be, uh, they shouldn't be doing that. They should uh, recognise what's happening. They should realise that people want the executive formed. They want, they want to see their politicians sitting around the table and working hard for them. That is what Michelle O'Neill has been trying to mm. do. Um, and the chaos, uh, to be honest, Richard, the chaos in, in Westminster only underlines for me and indeed for, for many others, uh, you know, the need for us to really ramp up the conversation about Irish unity because the solution to the chaos that is caused by the Tories and the chaos that it wreaks on the people who live in the North 
is Irish unity. That conversation has started and I think uh, it's accelerating at pace. I think people are interested now yeah. in an alternative uh, future. But, but we can't lose sight of the fact that the people in the North voted to remain, right. they voted for the European Union. I actually don't think that um, Westminster are interested in Northern Ireland. I think they're so busy, and they will be so busy this week uh, trying to find a new Prime Minister. Northern Ireland, again, has been forgotten, like it was during Brexit, uh, and it will go to the wall on Friday, and uh, there'll be another election up in the north, a Christmas election, and more than likely, Sinn Féin will win most of the seats, if I could say that, and we'll be back to where we started, mm. all because... Liz over there couldn't. I was going to use bad language, but I won't. Couldn't get. Couldn't get it together. Mm. I, I, it's it's ironic though, isn't it? When mm. all trouble was brewing at home, that she seemed to turn closer to Europe and try to soften mm. soften that stance. And then we did also hear from the Thornish <coughs> there, um, Barry, didn't we? That you know maybe elements of the protocol were too rigid. You know, there was a move there well, towards change, I, I'm, I'm would not, you say? I'm not quite sure that's what he said. I mean, he's, he said very specifically that the protocol was working and had achieved what it was meant to achieve. I was in Belfast last week. I met with groups from all the parties. A little scope for leeway there. No, well, I mean, I think it's important to listen in that context. The, the single message that I got from all the parties in Belfast last week was none of them wants an election, not just out of party interest, but because it's, it halts all progress. There'll be no further negotiation. There'll be no further discussion. As Henry says, the focus in Westminster will all be navel-gazing. And it does, it leaves... Yeah. Northern Ireland high and dry in terms of... But is there any progress. political appetite to do anything, Barry? Uh, I think there is among some parties um, and, I, and I think it's an unfortunate impasse that is there and the reality is that the way the um, the way it's constructed at the moment, certain parties can hold the whole system to ransom. I don't agree, I mean I'm in favour of United Ireland I don't agree that pushing it at this point is necessarily the right policy and you've got to be careful what you wish for because if you push it at the wrong time you rule it out for a generation and talk of a border poll may not be helpful at this moment, maybe we should be looking more at, at providing constructive solutions that are actually going to broker uh, cooperation rather than confrontation. Okay. I think we can take a look at some of the front pages of, of the British newspapers that have come in um, tonight. Actually, we, we don't have them yet, but when we do have them, we'll bring them, we'll, we'll bring, um, them to you. I'm sure there's a... We do have them now. Right, let's take a look. Does a Let Us feature somewhere? No, well, Financial <laughs> Times first. Uh, yeah, Let Us Rejoice. Let That's Us Rejoice. Good. And that looks like... Is that... That, that does look star. like... It did. That, that was, was the star. The star. Been yeah, having that um, the Daily Telegraph and the Guardian then signalling uh, the bitter end. Um, it did look like that lettuce might have had a Boris Johnson wig, wig on it. Oh, Henry. Well noticed. Um, yeah, yeah. The, the, I, the I, odds, he could come back. The odds have been slashed there um, for him potentially coming back. But you would wonder again. Uh, the, the manner in which he left, whether actually mm. there is the support is there, there an from him. Yes. Uh, yeah, among people who would have been his support base. I was going to say because history... Because they're all in disarray post yeah. Liz Truss. Like his, history's been kind to him, but it's been only 45 days. Yeah. I mean, that's not his... Well, it is history. Uh, but, yeah, very interesting times. Uh, fascinating uh, to watch and be a bystander. Uh, and looking at Liz Truss there, I, I, again, I thought her very short speech was weak and poor. No emotion. Not that she needed to show emotion. Um, but, uh, it, you know, I just thought it was... Um, Desperate, and it was. It was. It wasn't yeah, even bitter. She gets a nice prime ministerial pension uh, by all accounts. It's huge as well, money for the rest of her days. Five days it in the is, office. The, the speech. The speech she delivered today was so mm. much at odds with her kind of robust defence at the at the box in the House of Commons yesterday. I, I'm a I'm a fighter, not a quitter. Well, that apparently is not true. Yeah, and Stephen, you know, did Liz Truss really ever have the vision? I mean, that's that's no. that's the question there. No, you know, I, 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 that's we, one thing we, that we saw me. her sort of flip flopping on policies. She would have been anti Brexit. <laughs> 
Lib Dems, you know, she, she changed her tune. She sold the vision of the European Research Group, the ERG, the, the, the right of the Tory party. She just ticked their boxes. She, she it was like a kind of a, um, you know, one of those... Uh, um, I, I grew up with sisters who read comics, the Bunty magazine. They used to, <laughs> they used to be cut out models that you could dress. And, and uh, she, she wore the clothes of the European Research Group. She wore the clothes of Boris Johnson, the wing of the party, yeah. the policy clothes. To, to, she, she, she was there policy mannequin, if you like, and she didn't appear to have her own vision. Um, she appeared to be lack, completely lack empathy. Um, she was an extraordinary political figure. Um, and clearly the parliamentary party did not want her. Mm. She was beaten soundly in the parliamentary election. She, Penny Mordaunt came second in the first round of voting and Liz uh, Truss was, was far in her, in her wake. So I think um, it's going to be fascinating. I, I don't see Boris coming back. I, don't, I think uh, you used the word disarray. I think Boris's yeah. supporters and the ERG are in complete disarray mm. after the last 45 days. So I, I, he, he met, I'm not surprised that he wants it. I'm not surprised he's going to go for it. You can never rule anything out with Boris Johnson, but I think it's going to be between Rishi and Penny Mordaunt. Yeah, and, and, and on that, Louise, <coughs> um, uh, you know, be it Rishi or, or, or Penny Mordaunt in that position, who do you think would serve the North better now? Can I be honest and say, I don't think that's the... Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. North will be served well by uh, whoever it is that the Conservatives choose to be their leader. Um, I, I think we are, we're talking about a, a choice between one person who will drop the North at, a, at the drop of a hat and, you know, and, and completely ignore the people living there versus another person who will do the exact same thing. It's a matter for the Conservative Party who leads the, the, the Conservative Party. But I come back to a point that Barry made. I think that we need to start that planning now in relation to unity. We need to start the conversation mm. now because when the time comes to hold the border poll, we want to make sure we're in the best position to win it. So the time to start that planning, I think, is now. And the fact that people 
in the north are looking to Westminster. They see what is happening over there. And I think there is a growing appetite for people to take okay. their destiny into their own hands. Briefly, yeah. uh, Barry, no make hay in the, the chaos. Yeah, I've no, no, well, I wouldn't put it that way, but I think what, what we have from Sinn Féin is not a conversation, but more of, of telling people that this is the only way to go and a, an imposition that doesn't consider the varied views from the different traditions. All right, OK, there we will leave it for now. Uh, my panel is staying on with me because coming up next, other big stories of the day. Stay with us. Welcome back. In other news today, new arrivals from Ukraine and other countries may have to sleep overnight in Dublin Airport as the City West facility has now reached capacity. Arrivals to the City West Transit Hub, as it's known, have now been paused due to the significant increase in the number of people seeking accommodation in recent weeks, according to Minister Roderick O'Gorman's department. We're still here with me to discuss this now is political journalist Stephen O'Brien, uh, Sinn Féin TD Louise O'Reilly, Fine Gael Senator Barry Ward and News Talk broadcaster Henry McKean. Um, we look at this situation now and we did have the Irish Refugee Council warning about that the system was utterly overwhelmed and that was a couple of weeks ago. And now we are really seeing it coming to the ultimate crisis point, really, when the first stop for people arriving into this country seeking protection has now been shut. Barry? Well, the first thing, we, it's obvious why this is happening with the step up of aggression by Russia against Ukraine, the shelling of, of towns and cities that had previously been relatively safe. You can understand why more and more people are leaving. But it's important to remember that we hope that this is temporary. Um, it, is, it is a surge that has to be dealt with, but that's what has, all the way through, there has been a constant moving on of people. And we have over 53,000 people who've come here from Ukraine over 42,000 of them have been accommodated by the state in various situations around the country. That is continuing to happen and will continue to happen. So while it may be closed tonight, the hope is that that will, that will change well, in the coming days. Well, let's just talk about the situation mm -hmm. tonight. There's people at Dublin Airport sleeping on the floor. Yeah. And I've, I've met many of those people, not the ones who are there tonight, but and we had Ukrainian MPs who came here and I have visited Ukraine myself since the conflict began. And those people are very happy to be there. It is not desirable that they would remain there and they will not remain there. That is a temporary solution as they arrive. But, like, and it'll if be we have with. what the Refugee Council calls a situation that's completely overwhelmed, mm -hmm. that you've had to close the likes of City West. Temporarily. OK, but that's until a, a family has moved on and then it's sort yeah. of one in, one Which out. Which is happening all the time. And where there. are those families going to? Like, all we over saw the, the country, situation yeah. in, Kerry, mm -hmm. um, in Kerry last week where... You know, Ukrainians who were settled into a town, they had jobs, they had children going to schools, all upended from their accommodation in a time of war and, and going to be moved. Now, there was that U-turn, but it wouldn't have come about, yeah. we think, probably without the, the, the media attention on it. Um, because because of the critical situation that goes yeah. far beyond City West. So I'm not saying that it isn't a critical situation. What I'm saying is it is being dealt with. I think it's an astonishing achievement to have accommodated as many people as we have, over 40,000 people in that system. They are, there is a constant movement out of, out of the City West Centre and other centres, and that's really important. Louise, an astonishing achievement given what we are seeing in Ukraine and that the government is trying to do as much as it can 
uh, to help people and to help the situation? Well, I think the, the situation has become chaotic. It was, uh, it was flagged by the Refugee Council. But I think it's also important to remember that the Refugee Council had put forward a fairly sensible solution uh, to the government months ago uh, in which they suggested that holiday homes should be targeted in a, with a very specific effort. So the 60,000 holiday homes, that even if 10% of them, even if only 10% of them uh, were able to be used, to do that, to give people a one-year, uh, one 12-month licence so that there is some semblance of uh, stability for those families. You know, in that scenario, you would... You, no, as I say, if it's only 10%, you'd have 6,000 mm. families that would be accommodated. The other thing uh, which the, the, the government has talked about doing but hasn't, uh, hasn't done yet and should really make a, a better effort to do is to accelerate uh, the, the use of large buildings for multi-use you know, multi for multiple families. Uh, now, that's not, again, ideal, but at least uh, it is. So this is something that the government have said they would do. It hasn't happened yet. And I think what's happening tonight in City West... I mean, the people who were in City West have somewhere to sleep. The people who were in the airport maybe don't. And I think hopefully uh, that it's come to this will concentrate the mind of the government and they'll actually, you know, start to, to look at this with a little bit of a longer view. You know, I mean, offering people yeah. with holiday homes a 12-month licence, I think that gives that sort of stability to families and we won't see them being displaced and moved around yeah. okay. the way that they were from Killarney. Um, or almost were, sorry. Um, Stephen, on this, like, there is this sense that it's Roger Gorman's department that is, is taking the load here, that's taking on an awful lot. Um, do you believe, uh, you know, it's an overwhelmed department and in many ways, places, the Department of Housing and others, they just want to wash their hands of it and not their problem because they've got other problems. We've got a housing crisis and other issues. Well, they, cer they certainly have other problems uh, and, and other issues to deal with, but the Department of Children, Equality and Integration, I think that's at least three of its responsibilities. Disability, uh, youth. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 it was certainly, before this government took office, the smallest department in government. Um, it, it has been, it has got more resources since mm -hmm. then, but uh, given the scale of this problem, 58,000 asylum seekers in the protection system alone, um, not to mention direct provision, which is, which is uh, kind of running in parallel with that, uh, the, the um, I don't know. Does it have the, the, the scale to deal with this? I mean, there, there appear to be potential solutions. Uh, uh, Louise mentioned the, the, the large buildings. We heard before the summer, uh, Dara O'Brien, the housing minister, uh, had got a, a range of offers, and local authorities, religious orders, had offered them large buildings. Uh, local authorities had come up with some lists of, of large buildings in their areas. I know in County Kildare, where I live, there's the shell of a hotel, the former Red House Hotel, uh, was built in Celtic Tiger times. It's standing half finished, somewhere between uh, halfway between Nace and Newbridge. That's probably impractical because probably too much work left to be done on it. But we saw in Killarney, we saw when the, the local community and mm. political people stood together and protested loudly at what was proposed in Killarney, that extraordinary proposal to uproot those families and take them out of the schools and take uh, you know people away from their doctors, um, that a solution was found that they activated uh, pledged housing and other solutions were found in the area. But, you know, th th there are, we can see solutions that are might work. Are you saying that even this is a crisis, there appears to be a lack of urgency? 
I don't know if it's a lack of urgency, but I think a lack of resources, a lack of capacity in the but department to actually housing. activate I mean, those plans. I think plans. definitely more, more pledged housing, because like, this is what's going to get worse. Putin, is, as we speak, is bombing power stations. Yeah, that's what we're seeing. These Ukrainians, the, the, they're going to freeze. We're seeing this war is escalating uh, you know, And again, many of them will freeze to death this winter. And I know we've got politicians here on the panel, and they're all doing something. And we can all do a lot more, and we can find places for them to go. We, As you said, there needs to be a little bit more urgency out there. And I think there will be, as, you know, they start coming into the airport and we're going to see more and more of them. And those pledges, I mean, families have pledged and there's delays on those pledges and stuff like that. And hopefully families this Christmas will take in perhaps, you know, maybe a family or a part of a family because we've got to remember a lot of the, the young men and husbands are still out there fighting. Um, but yeah, no, it's heartbreaking to see. But I do think Ireland really has welcomed them for such a yeah, small country. Yeah, we could country. see actually when we, we talk about Killarney, that. the uh, yeah. integration and, and the community the, spirit the, the, that the is Killarney there. people wanted them to stay and there was uproar and they didn't have to go up to Westport but some of them said you know what I don't mind Westport I actually like Westport myself lovely spot but if you lose uh, your, your, your school and you've just settled it's very very difficult to be you know upended and sent to the other side of the country yeah. but we all need to do more and you know personally around this table I don't know if you have a refugee living with you but I know the rest of us don't and we all have different circumstances but if we can all just try uh, we could take more. We really could. Uh, again, is that putting a lot of responsibility, I suppose, on individuals like coming forward? And as you say, you yeah. don't know of, of yeah. different circumstances different that people situation. may have because yeah. of maybe government inaction. Barry, I just want to bring um, bring in some of the points that Louise was making there about you know the the larger buildings, about uh, those also pledges that were put out by religious institutions saying, look, we have this accommodation. Yeah. Why isn't that happening? Why, why not, isn't it happening more quickly? I mean, I don't know, but I know that it's not due to government inaction. For example, well, I know that... The it right, is. Well, well, well is it isn't when you have people at Dublin Airport sleeping on the floor? No, it isn't, because not, not all of these buildings can simply be purposed immediately for, for what we would like them to do. Um, I think if you look at, at where... I mean, there's criticism from Louise, but if you look at this time last year, there were about 7,000 people seeking refuge in this country. It is now close to 60,000. So when I said earlier that it was an astonishing achievement to have housed all those people... I think it is. Mm. And yes, of course, there are going to be blockages in the system as there were earlier this year, and they were proved to be temporary then. They were undone as we continue to move people into accommodation around the country. And there is work going on going all the time. It'll never happen quickly enough. Because if, as long as there's one family that doesn't have somewhere to go, it is not quick enough. But there is not inaction. But there's it, is huge there, amount is of work it because there is this area. sense that we're not great at planning. You know, okay, short term, we can we can turn it round. We can, you know, put on the brave face. We can say, look, we really want to help. There is that genuine feeling mm. that people want to support people seeking protection coming into this country. I don't think but that's then, justified when you look at what we have done in terms of the onslaught of people coming here. The, the tens of thousands of people arriving on our shores seeking refuge, they have gotten it. But medium to long-term planning? Yeah, but it is ongoing. And if you look at, for example, there are seasonal issues that need to be dealt with, but they have been dealt with so far. So people who are in student accommodation have been moved out and there's other accommodation that comes online during the winter, for example, and that has actually worked relatively well so far. So it's not a lack of planning and it's not a lack of action. Okay, not so a lack of planning, time, Louise. Yeah, this time last year, there were uh, three and a half, I think, to, to 4,000 people in direct provision um, who had leave to remain and, and who could have moved on and who remained stuck in uh, direct provision, although they should be able to move on. So I think there, there is an element of, of, of a, a lack of planning, but I don't think anyone will fault individual people and families and communities because I think they, they uh, people want to help. But that's what I mean when I say there's 60,000 holiday homes 
why not talk to those people, offer them a one-year lease And are those holiday license. homes, you know, in the right place that if, say, a family comes into... Yeah. You know, they well, don't well, have a car, they don't have access... There's of them, Claire. There's 60,000 of them. So, That's you know, the, the, the chances are that there will be several thousand. But the problem is, and, and this was flagged by the Irish Refugee Council and flagged again and flagged repeatedly, the problem is that lever is not being pulled. So I think what people want to see is that every lever is being pulled because we want to see people who are fleeing war, who have left behind what about a horrible the holiday situation. There are 60,000 60, holiday homes in the country. There are already many, many of them being used. I know of some, for example, people in my own constituency who have told me that their holiday homes in Wicklow and Meath, for example, are being used by, by Ukrainians. So it's not the case they're not being used. It's not the case that that lever is not being pulled. It is. But you cannot force people to give up these properties. But the conversations are being had through the Red Cross and other organisations to encourage people who are not using using other properties to make them available, and many, many of them already have been. Well, we need, we need the war. We need the war to end. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I know we're not allowed to say uh, we need peace because there won't be peace until Putin leaves uh, all those areas of Ukraine he has. Uh, but we, we do really need to try and end this. I, I'm mm -hmm. not sure how we can as a nation, but, you know, Barry, you've been out there. You've actually been out to Ukraine. But this war needs to end, and if this war ends, uh, these people hopefully will be able to go back and, and start their lives back to. if they want to go back. They do want to. Uh, and, you know, yeah. and also it will mean the whole cost of living crisis will sort itself out if I come across as selfish. But so many things would sort themselves out. And Putin, you know, we all know he has to go, but that's a different story altogether. Uh, yeah, that's certainly true. Um, and then with regards to the refugee issue briefly as well, we talk a lot about Ukraine, but the direct provision is something that we said that the government would have done away with. Uh, we're out of time on that and um, we will come back to it again, but we'll leave it there for now. My thanks to Stephen, Louise and Henry. Barry will be staying on with me because after the break, why Ireland will step up in the fight against human trafficking. Stay with us. Welcome back. Ireland must step up its efforts to fight human trafficking, a group of experts at the Council of Europe has said recently after a report expressing concern about the low number of prosecutions and convictions here. Well, earlier this week marked EU Anti-Trafficking Day and to discuss more on this is Fine Gael's Barry Ward who's staying on uh, with us here and I'm joined by Lalini Verasami from the International Organisation for Migration Ireland and Barbara Condon, CEO of Ruhama. Well, first, we can take a look at a short clip from a new video campaign that's aiming to raise awareness of human trafficking. He always asked me to leave my country, to come stay with him. They trusted him. It felt like we were friends. That was when he told me I needed to start earning money. I saw a message in a group chat. It was a job in Ireland. I didn't want to leave my country. But I need a job. Um, well, my panel is here with me now to discuss this um, video. And I suppose, Lilani, what inspired this video? Because it's especially targeted at an Irish audience to make them very aware of the facts around human trafficking. And actually what struck me is that trafficking as a word, it sort of glosses over the reality of what's happening here. This is the buying and selling of people, human life. 
Absolutely. This is a reality. And I think um, at the level of the International Organization for Migration, which is a UN body and here for so many years, it's, it's, it was our responsibility, I think, to work really with the government to raise awareness on this hidden crime. And um, this is the tip of the iceberg that you're seeing. I mean, we, we have probably around 40-ish cases um, referred to the Gadi last year. Really the tip of the iceberg of this, of this very uh, difficult crime. And I think this, this is a really call for action um, through that awareness raising campaign. The public is the eye and the ears of the community to be able to report mm. cases to the police. How do people find themselves uh, trapped in trafficking? How does it occur? Uh, is it a very simple thing that someone could just be, you know, along the street, approached about something, a new job, an opportunity in a different country, and suddenly the nightmare begins unfolding? Absolutely, absolutely. Poverty um, is definitely something that we've seen where people are lured into um, false promises, all these advertisements online, and you can see that even more now with the Ukraine crisis. So many online advertisements for jobs, for on escort sites, where people actually then are enticed to think that it's true and, and move from one border to, other, to the other and then be just literally trapped in such a crime. Yeah, um, talk to us about it, Barbara, because, you know, it's, it's a hidden crime, as um, uh, Lilani was saying there. On the official statistics uh, front, how does Ireland fare? I mean, how, how prevalent is it, certainly when you look at, at the reports, the reported crimes? Yeah, so I suppose, it, on average, a, they reckon there's about 1,000 women involved in the sex trade in Ireland currently. Um, and when you look at the official statistics for trafficking, say, like, there was 44, I think, in, in 21, of which more than half were for sexual exploitation and, and the others were for forced labour. Um, but that, that's a serious underestimation. Mm -hmm. Like, last year, we would have engaged with 369 women involved in the sex trade, of which 136 were victims of human trafficking for sexual exploitation. Now, not all of them will go in, uh, the vast majority won't go into the, the national referral mechanism for a variety of different reasons. But also, a, a lot of them weren't new referrals because women who are, who are involved in, in, who have been trafficked, mm -hmm. it takes a long, long time to, to come through the journey of healing and, and recovery. Um, it's a very, very complex issue. And to come forward and talk about what's happened to them. It's incredibly difficult, there's huge stigma. There's massive stigma, there's massive shame. Um, so it's very, very difficult. But also, the, it, it's the fear of, of um, being believed and it's the fear of being re-traumatized. If, if they come forward, well, the, there's huge threats to their family back home because a, a lot of women have come here on false promises but have left children behind. Yeah, uh, and we're hearing as well, Barry, that you know there is concern being raised about prosecution being very low in this country. What's... Um, the Justice Minister, Helen McEntee, uh, doing about this problem, doing about these crimes, because if we're getting those figures as we are, um, you know, 104 cases or otherwise, that's clearly just the tip of the iceberg. You're really not hearing about it. Yeah, and uh, this is a problem, it is an international problem. New legislation was passed last year to make it easier to prosecute these offences, and that will take a bit of time to go through the system. But what I think is really key about this, and I'm delighted to see this campaign, because what it, we need to do is educate people 
how to recognise the signs of this criminal activity and then what to do about it. So it is happening everywhere, as has been said. Um, it, you know, and it's not just women, it is men as well. I think it's probably predominantly women. But there are people in all kinds of work. Obviously, the sex trade and the flesh trade is one aspect, but there's all kinds of other forced labour as well. And people need to understand that when they engage in certain kind of uh, services, and, and not just sex services, mm. but all kinds of other services, they're potentially dealing with people who are doing that against their will. And if we equip people with identifying what the signs of that are and what they can do to help those people, that'll go a long way to identifying those problems so Gardaí can then investigate and prosecute further on down the line. Um, yeah, and we'll talk about that in, in a moment, but we were talking there about um, the Ukraine war and how that's leading to an increase in the numbers of fleeing war and then also finding themselves in being trafficked in this really vulnerable situation. What struck me was back in March, I think, when there was that devastation, that urgency, that chaos that people were fleeing to borders. There were children who were separated, say, from their, their families who were then being trafficked at the border. A horrendous situation. Some of those children may be in Ireland at the moment, Lalini. Definitely. More than 50% of the trends, whether it's globally or in Europe, are actually children and mainly girls. So absolutely, the risk is there. Um, and um, I think some of the signs that we can see, obviously, is children coming with no documentations or being always accompanied, escorted by people, um, and then disappearing, not actually being able to re retrace them. Mm. So absolutely, definitely, uh, child trafficking is definitely an issue which is underreported. Um, and what Barry was saying there about people being aware of, of the signs of looking out for something that may appear odd. Um, like, what, what should people look out for? You're talking there about children, you know, with no documentation, whatever. That's now originally coming into the country. But say they're in a community, and we know this doesn't just happen in urban areas, in cities, in Dublin and elsewhere. It's rural towns we're seeing it too. So how should people recognise it on their doorstep? See, some sectors, we actually, some services, we actually use them on a daily basis. And you could actually even compare sometimes some of the, um, the services that you're paying for, the low wages that you would be querying. Why am I paying that such a low amount of money for a service compared to another? Um, so I think definitely there are signs that you can so see. So what, what are you talking about there when you're talking about... You if know, you're paying for, I don't know, you're going to, you know, wash your car or wanting mm. to do your nails or, I mean, the typical sectors that you would see globally and that would apply in Europe as well. Um, the construction sector, some of the sectors obviously come more, um, are more prominent in, in when we talk about forced labour, labour exploitation. Obviously, Ruhama has much more experience in the area yeah, of sexual and it, exploitation. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, it's a big sign. Sexual is, exploitation, yeah. but it, it appears that actually it could be in plain sight, really, by what Lalini's saying. Well, a big indicator in the community is if your neighbours keep changing. So, you know, if there's constantly mm. new neighbours and there's what's called uh, touring, so touring women around the country. So we have women who might be in Dublin today, they could be in Belfast tomorrow, they could okay. be in Limerick the, the next day. And the idea is Disappearing and turning up somewhere else. Yeah, and okay. it's to avoid detection, but it's also... We, we have to leave it there. Um, but listen, thank you so much for bringing this um, to our attention. We'll talk about it again. That is it from us. Uh, thanks for joining us. Our programme is available as a podcast on all platforms. Um, we want to thank our guests tonight, but from all the late team here, Good night and do take care.
This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. 